0: Welcome to Interstates, I'm Alex Chambers. So, Kara and Andy thought they'd be able to find community in Chicago, the big city. And they went there partly for its diversity. They wanted to be in a place that was less white. But it was so expensive to live there, it meant they had to work a lot, and it seemed like everyone around them was stressed all the time. So, they decided to leave and go to the small town in southern Indiana where Kara grew up. Paoli. Population, 3,666. It's a whole lot cheaper to live there, which means they don't have to spend all their time working for other people. They bought an old factory building they used to make tomato products, and now they live in it. Kara teaches yoga there, and he makes bagels that he sells on Saturdays. They host lecture series, and they've been instrumental in putting on a festival for the town. This is a story about making community in a small town. It's also a postcard from Paoli, a photo taken from one angle with a fairly narrow lens. Which is to say, there are at least twelve other ways of looking at Paoli, Indiana. <laughs> right.
1: So there's
2: Paoli. That's
1: Paoli, huh? Well, where's, where's the Maybe epicenter? We where's?
3: Do it with them and then we can, um... That'd be fun. To we could do a big we one on the whole tablecloth too. Yeah, I could. Do,
0: but... a cow. That looks like a. Um, it looks like our baby squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> we the we the baby squirrel that we're doing, uh, little Spock squirrel.
2: Uh-huh. So that's the one boundary of our economy. Is so this no this is the an Amish farm where we get our milk. Yeah.
3: So we need we need
1: uh, we need they, Walmart in the there bank. Yeah, closed. I'm drawing my economy with my house, uh, the, the road to my where I work at the uh, health mental health clinic. The courthouse here and where I get my hair cut, where I get my gas. Walmart, which is the only place in town to really get groceries. And then over here is the bank. So when we usually
2: think about the economy, there's a tendency to think about certain things. There's a tendency to think about our jobs and the salary that we get and what we do with that salary. There's also a tendency to think about markets. Or stores and the stock market and banks, things like that, very formal types of things. There's also a tendency to think about stores or industries or big companies, right, that kind of supply us with the things we need. So, but there is kind of a model, of a way of thinking about our economy that puts together the idea that there's actually a lot more than what we see and that what we usually think about when we talk about this idea of the economy.
4: Epope- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Ours is so weird, it's hard to, it's hard to graph geographically because our economy is, we, we use so much social currency, like it's, we're it's almost mostly social currency.
1: Yeah. So, the
4: Axis Mundi is the
0: is tomato product.
4: That's a joke. I
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's
0: not. This is, this is the center of everything. <laughs> yeah, around everything, everything.
4: Right, right. I just-
0: So, I am at the Tomato Products Company, slightly tangled in my clothes. It's uh, March 4th, Saturday, bright, sunny day. I'm walking over to this big old factory building, not huge for a factory building, I guess, but for a building. There's smoke coming out of a chimney, there's a rain, a little bit of a rainbow painted on a wall, there's a pond with some metal sculptures made out of. Hello, hey, Hey. okay. Do you want water or tea or something? I'm good for now. Okay. Yep. I went ahead and turned the recorder on, just so you know. Oh, that's fun. So, if you are about to tell me a big secret, Mm. I should turn the recorder off.
4: Uh, Where the bunker is. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The secret entrance to the bunker
0: (laughs) is right here. Hey,
4: Tara.
0: Hi. Good to meet in person. I'm good. How are you?
1: Good to meet you. Are you (laughs) a hugger? I am a hugger, (laughs)
0: yes. That's good. I'm going to go throw a few
4: logs on. I'll be right back.
1: Okay.
3: Hopefully you're okay with cats.
4: Oh yeah, totally.
0: Boy, I just like the light and the plants and the the big space, but like it's, you know, there's all the old bricks of course, which is really cool. Yeah. And then like the comfy couches and kitchen and all the cookbooks (laughs) and cooking stuff. We were just
3: talking last night. We went to a friend's house and Andy was like, it's really weird to be in a regular house. Because you'd, you know, this is normal to us. But when I think back to how this space that we're sitting in right now was when we first bought it, and even for the first few years, there was a heat in here where those doors are and where the doors over there are, those were boarded up. So we didn't have light. It was like dirt all over the floor. Water would just run through when we had rain, a lot of rain. And so to think that that's now our living room is kind of a strange, you know, you're just like, how did this, it's just, it's very comfortable for us, but it's not what most people think of as comfortable, (laughs) you know, in some ways, like with the concrete and the lack of TVs and carpet or whatever, you know what I mean?
0: (laughs) And- Well, it's funny, I find this place like incredibly comfortable personally, but I am probably unusual.
3: Yeah. I mean, we find it comfortable too. And I think most people who come feel like you do, which is nice to hear, cuz we're yeah. so used to it that it's hard to know.
4: And there's it's lots cool. of people here that are there's public coming through on a daily basis. Mm. So th- that I learned this year the concept of third space. I hadn't understand that concept before and and it's interesting to live in third space, right? Yeah. As as a caretaker because I don't know how we would have done it without a caretaker here. This place was, a lot of it was graffitied up and people would come steal things. And so it was kind of in the, it's the first place the police went when something was stolen. Uh-huh. Like if a or car went missing. for
3: somebody. Yeah, right. They were looking for somebody who was yeah.
4: running.
0: <laughs> wow.
3: Yeah. To this
4: building before this, you
3: yeah. were here. Yeah. yeah. Or like if a car got stolen or, yeah, if somebody was kind of on the run. This is, there this no is. Doors. There, this was the place that they would come to see if they could find whatever they were looking for, whoever they were looking for. So, so they don't have to do that anymore. And I think we haven't heard anything about that for several years now. But at the, there was a time, like kind of at the beginning, where it's like, oh, it's nice. We don't. The police don't have to like worry about this place anymore. You know. I'm Kara Schmidt, my family moved to Paley when I was a baby and I was here all through high school and then left for college and that's where I met Andy at Goshen College and we were in Goshen and then Chicago and in 2015 my dad went on hospice and it was also like Chicago was a pretty challenging place for us to live on lots of different fronts, and we decided that we wanted to get out of Chicago. And figuring out where we were going to go in our late 30s, early 40s was kind of a challenge. Like, what were we going to do with our lives at that point? But when my dad went on hospice, it was like this opportunity to come spend more time here, be with my parents and near family, and help take care of him. And it was... Just a nice reprieve from the city. And so over several weeks, a couple months, we slowly decided to move here. Actually, I decided to move here. And Andy decided eventually that he would follow me. <laughs> it's really the truth.
4: Do <laughs> you want to introduce yourself, Andy? Yeah. I'm Andy Gerber. Much of my history correlates with Kara's. I grew up in northern Minnesota and East Africa and Illinois, went to Goshen College twice. I have degrees in religion and nursing and worked as a ICU and then hospice nurse for a time, hospice in Chicago all over, and tried to still maintain an art practice in Chicago with studio space and found that very difficult. And so was passionate about having a place where i could could work on th- those creative elements that i wanted to do but also also passionate about making a space for others to do that and also really wanting to connect to outdoor space which was one of the hard parts of chicago is not just feeling like there's I couldn't go out and find a stone to make a sculpture out of or couldn't, couldn't go find things or, or, or relate to the woods or the grow things. And, and so that's always been a big part of me growing up in Northern Minnesota and, you know, being able to wander around in the woods and the creeks. So this was a, a great opportunity. I didn't want to move all my tools down and not have a space for them. That was one of my parameters. And then this building came up for sale And we tried to come see it the night before I had to go back to Chicago, but we couldn't get down. We couldn't figure out quite how to see it. And then I went to Chicago, and Kara came and saw it and called me, and I was like, just buy it.
1: I never thought I would like Paoli, Indiana. <laughs> I grew up in Chicago. Yeah. Lived in Indianapolis for several years and went to school up there. Went back to school in my 30s. So I just, I, I got uh, my three degrees and so I kind of fit in, <laughs> you know? Can you tell me your up? name one more time. Remind me your name. Lauren.
0: Are you visiting or did you move here?
1: Well, I thought it was going to be temporary, but I moved in with Rose and her husband, and he's in really poor health. And uh, I'm retired, and um, Rose works every day during the week, and she's almost retirement age. She probably won't forever, but she's a mental health worker. And so she has to work every day, and her husband is alone, and he's got heart issues and like four or five five autoimmune diseases. So I'm just gonna stay. We've been friends for 43 years. Been friends with her husband for 48.
5: that our kids hate I, I shouldn't I shouldn't make that statement that they hate it here. I think they all just are in that phase of their lives where this is it. You know, like they're like, really? Like this is it? And there's always that there's something so much better someplace else and but then I've got quite a few kids now that they don't have plans to go away. Like this is it mm-hmm. and they know it. And so but that's in twenty years of teaching it's different the kids are different than they were when I started, I think. But like? They've see, they, they can see everything.
0: Oh, so they actually have more of a sense of the they, outside world and yeah. what? And they, they,
5: they realize more? there's no magic. When I started teaching... Oh, like when so I, they're more
0: likely to stay because
5: mm-hmm. of that? I think so. Oh, that's so interesting. I think so. The kids that I... When I started teaching... There's magic. There's something. There's something outside of of Paoli. It's so magic. But now they watch magic every day. They get it. It's the kids. People are the same everywhere. And they don't, there's not that push as hard to like, I have to get out of Paoli. The curtain got
6: pulled
5: down. Well, they realize that there's, they've seen the wizard. My name is Heather Nichols, and I am a teacher at Paoli High School. The kids who want to leave want to live in an urban environment for the most part. Or there's a specific Instagram version in their mind of what Colorado is like or what California is like. And they're sure. like, I want to go there. But otherwise, I would say 80-20 when I started teaching, 80% of kids are like, I got to get out of here. And now mm-hmm. I'd say it's 80-20 the other way. Most kids really? are like, "I don't." they don't plan to leave southern Indiana. They're going to be around here and they don't have this big... I'm going to move to, you know, the ones that are moving for very specific reasons. Yeah. They've already workshopped and looked and thought through and s- scrolled all the things. They know everything about the place they're going to. They're the experts of it. And I'm always like, oh, be careful. Remember, when you're looking on social media, you're looking at a very crafted version of the world. And when you get there, it might not be what you think it is. Right. And I don't know. I think kids now are way more, uh, well, I should say that, but more aware of cause and effect of if I go to college, I have to leave my house and I have to move to the school and I have to like do all these things and make all this money and then I've got to do this. But here I have people and I have, you know, I think there's a little bit for the kids that I'm around. Now That's not fair for, and kids that maybe have more access to more resources, you know, I don't know. I just Mm -hmm. think that they, they get that it's not just, I move and everything is better, wonderful.
3: My parents are from the Plains area, so one's from Kansas, one is from Nebraska, Mennonite background, Russian Mennonite background. They met when my mom was in nursing school in Kansas, and my dad lived in Kansas. And so they met there when he was not in school, she was. She ended up coming to Goshen College in Indiana for the rest of her nursing degree, and they had already met and started to fall in love, and so he ended up following her. And then because of connections at Goshen College, well, two reasons. They had connections from Goshen College, Mennonite connections, but also my dad ended up in Indianapolis for schooling to get his physical therapy degree. And during that time, they were with some other couples that also went to Goshen College that had a Mennonite background, who were also getting training in the medical field. So doctors, psychiatrists, nurses. That group of people decided that they wanted to move to a rural area to serve a community that was underserved in the medical world and help with healthcare. And so there were two different communities they were looking at. I'm not sure what the other one was, but Paoli was one of them. Because Paoli had a small hospital, but I think one of the main doctors that was here was either retiring or something was happening and they were going to lose, you know, they needed more doctors, basically. They needed a physical therapist. And so they all decided to move here pretty much at the same time and buy land together. So I grew up on kind of an intentional community where it was a cooperatively owned piece of land, about 80 acres. There were originally, I think, five families. All of them had young children. This was in, we moved here in 1974. And then the house that was on that property was built by like 1978. And so from age three or four, I was living on this property with all these other people. We all had our own houses and many of them still live there. The ones who are living, my mom still lives there. And being Mennonite and also growing up in that kind of an environment, community, service are some core values that I grew up with. So I feel like that really plays into a lot of the choices Annie and I have made in terms of like where we live and what we're doing.
4: I spent the first decade or so in northern Minnesota and Duluth and Two Harbors and absolutely loved it. My parents had done Peace Corps and wanted to go back to uh, East Africa and so they, they took an assignment with the Mennonite Mission Board to go to Somalia to start a nursing school. And nothing goes as planned in Somalia. It's a, that's a good theme. <laughs> and so I learned a lot about World Bank and all that kind of stuff yeah. early on. But um, I went to boarding school when we went there. So we uprooted from Minnesota, plopped down in Kismayu on yeah. the equator. And then. Uh, and you were about what, 10, you said? Uh, I was 12, oh. I think. Yeah and then went to a Southern Baptist Pentecostal Assembly of God boarding school in the Rift Valley in Kenya. One of my roommates died between semesters. He was eaten by a crocodile. The way that it was handled at the boarding school was, uh, it was just not, it was handled. It wasn't, there was no space for grief. There was no, um, and so looking at the train wreck that that was and what happens when there's not uh, space given for grief and, and, uh, and Christianity is turned into grief illiteracy instead of holding space wow. for grieving. Um, so that was early on like a, a piece of who I was. And so I was a hospice volunteer even before I was a nurse. Karen and I both did hospice training, and I studied up in Ontario with Stephen Jenkinson at the Orphan Wisdom School, and I've done a lot of that type of work. So that was, but I, I did ICU first, because my mom said, go, go learn to ride your bike. So get your skills. So I went and did that for three plus years. I initially worked in an inpatient unit in Chicago, which was uh, a lot of, there was a lot of high-tech stuff. People would come in on vents and drips, and and so uh, having, a, having a proficiency in that realm was, was, was a good idea. Yeah. Uh, the big switch was going from inpatient hospice to hospice admissions, mm-hmm. which is driving to uh, you name it part of Chicago, working with a person from anywhere on the planet and, talk and having, like, the the most difficult conversation they've ever had with them and then going and doing that again with it's a completely different person, right? Like, you know, from 12 fairly inebriated Irish folks to an immigrant family from Iraq to, you know, you name it, to a, a low-income black family with no furniture in the house, right? Like, just boom, boom, boom. So it was a, it was a, I learned was the hardest job I've ever done. And I learned a ton about like walking in and, and, and just learning to, to relate and communicate with just about anybody. What did you learn? Instead of trying to prescribe or explain how something's going to work. It's, it's the holding space for, for people specifically finding finding the the connection so if you're in someone's house it's easier cuz you look around and there's like there's 300 model trains on a shelf and then you can talk about trains right and that's that's the way that you you get get in sync with somebody so and i'd tell you i've the amount of different methods that you use to get in sync with i mean like sometimes it was a uh Tom Paxton song. I like, I literally sang a Tom Paxton song to one person. I don't know how that happened. I don't quite remember without knowing that Tom Paxton was one of their favorite artists, which was strange. I don't but those little pieces when, when you find them that are connected, then someone's like, oh, okay. You know, so it's a, it's a skill. I don't know how you learn. I, I just, I don't know. And there's, there's train wrecks in trying to learn it mm-hmm. when you say the absolute wrong thing. And then my sister died. Kara's dad was dying. Lots of things were shifting. We sold our house in Goshen and bought this place all within like two months.
3: The Eubanks bought this place in maybe the late 60s. Yeah. And when they bought it, the building didn't have floors. There was no roof. There were probably no windows. Because of the fire that happened in like the 40s. This was the warehouse for the tomato factory. And there were other buildings, structures, that were actually the cannery that got so destroyed in the fire that those buildings got demolished eventually, but this one was left standing enough, but really didn't have, like it didn't have floors. It didn't have a roof. So the Eubanks bought it to put in a small furniture factory. They're the ones who, like, saved the building, really. and. Turned it into. I think they didn't. They build the front. Yeah. So didn't they? Yeah. So that didn't they build the front? Yeah. On this big patio out front, they had, they built a structure that was like their offices and maybe bathrooms and things, and then the rest of the, ma- the main part of the building was the factory. And they put like in a little elevator so they could move things.
5: Yeah. The very end of them owning it, I was a little kid and I remember my dad. Yeah. Because these are my dad's cousins. Yeah. My dad tells a story, i told you this yeah. about how they always would come up and walk the railroad tracks and there would be little cactuses from where the railroad had gone out west and come back. There were cactus growing in the railroads there when the railroad was still running, which i vague vague, is it crazy to think we have vague memories of the railroad or is that long gone? No, I, I kind of do too. But I don't know if I'm just thinking That's I remember right. that I or? it was commissioned in the 80s. Yeah. So, and the, but my dad would come up here when he was young and he remembers there being little cactus from when they'd go out west and come back. And uh, even if it's not true, I like that story. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was woodworking. I just remember lots of wood smells that when they had it, but they didn't, I don't know who had it after that, or nobody had it. I
3: don't know either. At some point after the Eubanks, somebody bought it and made it a pallet factory. I think that's the Lowe's. Yeah. There's been a haunted house here like in around 94, after I had gone. And then besides that, it was just used kind of as storage. We bought it from a guy named Willie Sprinkle. He's not a native to Paoli. Also owned the, the house that burned seven years ago.
5: It was our first winter here. I was so yeah. To yeah, I know. I remember watching that fire. Not sure where it was, and kept telling Jeremy, "You're gonna have to go. You have to get in your car and drive and see if Kara's house is on fire." He's like, "It's not her house." Of course, he was right
1: again. Yep. I'm Rosemary Park. I moved here about five years ago from Nashville, Tennessee. What brought you here? Love and a husband. <laughs>
0: How would you describe, like, the role of this place in the community?
1: It's like a, a center for the arts. It's almost like an artist colony and studio and educational center and event centers. It's, it's, it's just a gathering of creative peoples to learn and make art and celebrate together. Awesome
5: in my day job of being a cheerleading coach you know we go to get on the buses and go to all these other schools and all these towns and i I worry it's just that i'm just in love with my home that i think all these other places are very boring and very dusty and very just like cardboard cutouts of of movie sets and our town is like a weird little town and mm. the kids don't oh. get it. Like, it's like all those yeah. places, you can push on those buildings and they'll fall right down, I promise. <laughs> they're not real places. There's a, a magic realism a real pla- component
4: is, to it though. Like there, it's like Pablo Neruda wrote this book or something, <laughs> yeah, wrote this place, you know? There's... Only I
5: don't know that he was in love with it. I think he might've written it, but I don't know that he was in love with it. Like, like he should be, no. Oh, not
4: Neruda, yeah. who was I thinking of? Um Garcia
0: Marquez. I don't
5: know that we have that much darkness.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. When you get the yeah. wrong
5: people together, there's a little bit of darkness. We only had one protest. The, were you here when we had the people on the square with the God hates the F word kind of people? Yeah, one time. Like, since I've been teaching, we had a group of... Folks that, I don't know, that they were the protest group. You know, those people. Westboro, I think it's what their name is. Yes. Well, yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Somebody, somebody adjacent in their same wheelhouse brought their nasty, awful flags and their horrible signs and their pictures of aborted mm-hmm. fetuses. And that was such a controversy. They came on the square and did their little protest. And I thought, this is the only actual protesty kind of thing I've ever seen happen in Paley. And these folks aren't from here. They're just coming in here, and I'm like, I want to go, y'all don't understand how much so many people do not agree here, and we just keep our mouth shut. We just all live in the same place, and we don't get in each other's business, and we don't, I mean, without, you know, of course, we get in each other's business, because <laughs> please, we're humans, but we don't, like, I know so many people who are so in both directions, you know, yeah. where their kids all go to our school together, you know, and that's an interesting melting pot of children having conversations about real issues and that they all are able to do that and pretty well and Mm. nobody, you know, a lot of swinging, you know, no fists about stuff like that. You know, kids are all hearing all different ideas all the time and we don't have too much controversy. There was a conversation this week in my classroom. One of my students is giving a a speech about, I'm going to say it wrong, mythopristone, whatever the abortion pill that the Texas judge is planning to Canceling is the word she used. And I was like, I think you probably have to say banning. But she was working on her debate for her speech and going through it. And she and another kid, they were debating and talking about, you know, what is the impact of all this? And I'm looking over here. and My very Republican family children are just over here just listening, just like listening mm-hmm. to them talk. They're very like-minded against the cancel of this or the... the um banning of this abortion pill and they're both like, you know, like, this is silly. We shouldn't, you know, having this conversation and working on the debate. And then these other kids who I know are from families that are, yes, let's get rid of no abortion. You know, just just listening. And I'm like, this is nice. Like, let them have those conversations around each other and hear other voices for themselves in person, not just through the interwebs kind of thing. And no matter what the issue is and very religious kids from very religious families just quietly listening and I don't know it's a kind of a nice metaphor for the town like I think there's a lot of like people that just kind of quietly listen to what's happening around them there's not usually a lot of big hubbub
4: you reminded me of a story heather i was down at the beer store one of the first years we were here
5: was it the, the one by the, liquor. The, by the liquor store? By the yeah. jail.
4: By the jail, yes. Okay, good. And uh, there's this four young people in there and I was like, I wonder where they're from. And they were like looking at the <laughs> beer and I was like I was like, Would you like some would you like some could I help you figure out what kind of beer you'd like? And they spoke and I was like, Oh, these are Europeans. Huh? So the two young women were from France and had flown into Canada. And met these two young Canadian men, French Canadian men, and both of the, the four of them decided to come and tour the United States. And I met them in the liquor store in Paoli, and I was like, I said, "Would you guys like to come up and see the tomato factory?" And they were like, well, "Sure." <laughs> and so I was on my bike, and I rode my bike back up here, and they followed in the car, and I gave them the tour of the whole tomato factory, and just talking to them and uh, they're French so I figured they should know the French poets uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name Yves, Yves Bonfoy he wrote these uh, she saw all these little poems called stones like all he names all his poems a stone <laughs> and so it was one of my favorite poems I wanted to have her read it to me in French so okay. I had her read it to me in French and then we took him out to lazy black bear to the horse camp to let them camp out there I mean we told them we could they could camp there if they wanted but They emailed back like the next year and said they had gone through the entire United States and they thought that Paoli was the most magical place they had seen. Yeah. (laughs) Is that crazy?
5: That is crazy. I mean, that's not, though. I don't know. It's something weird about this place. It really is. Yeah. They
4: were just like, what is going on there? We went, they drove all over, you know, like Las Vegas and all the places. And then they were just
5: like, Paoli.
6: But I mean I think it's like people in general too just have more of a like oh, would you take you want a camper for that truck you're selling you know It's like, no, I don't actually, but thanks for asking. I mean there's just like this
3: well, I mean, I we're know. we're talking about yard sales. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, so many people do their so much of their economy through yard sales. Right. Selling clothes on Facebook. Yeah. Or right. Like, right. I mean, or
4: I an, just, I got another deer. Do you want this one? Well, you got right. that one.
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: I like, yeah. got a deer from the neighbor's. Oh, last that's here. the one
6: where, like, I moved here thinking I was going to get into hunting. It was a big goal. I'm going to move to get into hunting and like get a lot of our meat. And then it was like, oh, like everybody I know hunts. They love it, and they get way more. <laughs> Deer than they want. Or they like they like to kill the deer, but they don't even like to eat it. So they're like, oh yeah, you want a dough, I'll get you a dough. You want two does? I'll get you two does. I'm like, I kind of all have all the deer I want any given winter. Any spring?
5: We're having a cur- our curiosity lecture series. Oh, that's right. I remember. So it's so from six to, to eight. again um, like a fog, I have seen that in my evening.
3: What do we have to do to get ready for tonight?
1: Yeah, I, yeah I've
4: been that thinking about it.
3: Because we haven't done anything out
4: there. That's not true. Okay. Not. I haven't
3: done anything out there. <laughs> that, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. That is true. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I think I just need to move a few things out. I should go check on the fire. To make sure that that's heating up. What time is it? What is the Patricia is from Brazil, she teaches geography at IU and she's talking about community wealth and uh, other economies other than the money economy and communities yeah. and this
2: is a picture of an iceberg so when we look at the top of the iceberg you see kind of these usual things that people will talk about or think about when you ask them, what is their time, they usually go to those, those things, right? But below the iceberg, there's all these other types of things, some formal and some informal, that also make up the activities and processes that sustain us and sustain our community. So things like our families, things like community gardens, things like Housing cooperatives, or exchange cooperatives, or consumer cooperatives—things like uh, parenting or informal mutual aid, things like caring for your friend's child. (laughs) Those things can exist, but they have to exist
1: underground here.
2: Yeah, Yeah. because our structure is never going to represent that in this this, uh, Although one of our big points was that those things don't even have to exist underground here because. The There's regulation. so little regulation mm-hmm. that you know we can get raw milk mm-hmm. without worrying yeah. about. But I it's mean, it's never going to be. The, yeah. I, it's not. i never. Sure yeah. yeah. I don't have
5: very op, very much optimism that it's going to be. The city council or the county, you know, right. the,
2: oh right. it's, yeah, it's going to be yeah. grassroots. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. But I think what the is that we can we can do that more here because it's less. Yeah, we don't whereas in like Bloomington or something, you have to work so through the, of the official Channel
2: to come for the yeah. health department to, to come regulate. regulate stuff, for example. Given winter.
4: Yeah. There's also there's like less of a fear of this, like. Intractable enmeshment that happens like from
0: official
4: yeah, like, like right, like you can never figure out if you owe someone or they owe you or like where you are like I mean you, 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 you can try to keep track of things, but if you if we try to keep track of like
6: who is. Is there like there's like a bit of grace in the exchange instead of it being a
3: because there's hard more transaction there than just what's being yeah. exchanged? And Usually.
6: I think especially
0: I mean, skill sharing and knowledge sharing is like that's where like
2: I see there is like
5: doing this video to talk about our community and talk about our school, and, and I'll be real honest with it, I don't remember what it was for. I was just told to talk about Paoli, and I, and they asked me the question, like, what is it like living in Paoli? And I said, well, living in Paoli is having the very, very far to the right and the very, very far to the left at the same place, and most people get along most of the time. And very little major public controversy, but there's lots of far reaches of both political in the same county. Lots of um, people that are not from Paoli seem to come to Orange County and, and for the kids here they're like why? Why would people come here? You know and so I think that's it's an interesting place to be with a lot of different, uh, I don't know, its a it's a unique kind of diversity. We don't have a lot of racial diversity that I wish my kids at my school could see and be around and maybe not as much religious or cultural diversity but just I don't know, just diverse way of thinking, all seems to come here. We're kind of like the Forrest Gump of Southern Indiana, I think. It's like the strangest people get connected somehow here. And we've got the, the lady, what is her name? The woman with the space program. You have her connected here. And then you've got Larry Bird. And you've got like the, the strangest, like famous celebrity historical piece. And then you've got Al Capone. And it's like, like the list of things that have happened in Orange County. It's like we're the Forrest Gump of Indiana. This morning I put on my Merlin bird ID, did the sound identification, and it identified like nine different birds like in our backyard area. And one was a cedar waxwing. That's the one I don't have on my life list. I like, collect, you know, so I'm that kind of a nerd. You're making that a face. You,
0: yeah, no, that you're just collecting like having heard them, having Haven't seen, seen them. them.
5: Like physically okay, seen them. Okay, so you them. got yeah. one. Don't, but, but I can't heard. count it. I was really, it's an ethical dilemma because my oh. app tells me I heard one, but I didn't oh. see it, and so I just... It was your the app, app was yeah. like tit Titmouse tit mouse and blue jay and cardinal cedar waxwing and i was like oh! and i'm look like look, looking around like in my robe looking in my backyard trying to find this bird and no such thing Anyways, so my heart was broken today so there probably was a cedar waxwing as there are red-tailed hawks we have black we have everything in our backyard. My mother is so jealous of us. She's like, I don't know how you're across town and you have all these birds we don't have. But yeah, anyway. Talk, yeah, we have lots of crazy birds up there and the red-tailed hawk has been there for a while and it does try to kill the starlings anytime he it gets a chance. So not surprised.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah. You think I'm a crazy person?
0: No, I'm just enjoying You're making your face that. like, oh, this just, is crazy. No, I think
5: the I vultures
2: enjoying-
3: When I left, I was like, there's no way I'm ever moving back to Paley, you know? But then all of a sudden, like, 20 years later, it just made the most sense, you know? I don't know.
0: And it wasn't, I mean, it was prompted by your dad, but it wasn't like
3: no, we like the, staying here. We, my dad's going into hospice was almost my excuse to just make it happen because we already knew we needed to get out of Chicago if we were going to be healthy people <laughs> mentally and physically. And But we didn't know exactly where we were going to go, but my dad was ill for a very long time. And so there were lots of, this is another connection to hospice. I mean, part of the reason that I was interested in death and dying and grieving is because there were so many times that we thought my dad was on his last days. And so there were many trips down here to, you know, be with dad, thinking it might be our last days with him. And then he would miraculously get better, you know? And so during those trips, like especially the ones after we had moved to Chicago it was like, man, it would be really nice. This feels like a pretty nice place at this point in our lives to move to. And so then when we had been in Chicago for enough years and my dad was in hospice, then I was like, well, I'm going to Paoli to be with my dad and kind of just
5: gonna leave Chicago, <laughs> you know. Kara and Andy are doing something that is not traditional to folks that live around here. Most people live in an apartment or get a house or get a trailer and they bought a building and they lived inside of it for a while in like another trailer. Is that right? Am I remembering that right? And then they've just kind of made a home out of a structure that it isn't really common around here, so I think in, probably in the beginning whether they know it or not, uh, they probably got a lot more side eye than they realized, what are they doing up there in that building, you know, in the old factory? But then I think that the more they became, you know, and they were part of the market crowd and, you know, Andy's one of those people that once you meet him, I meet people all the time, they're like, oh yeah, I know Andy, and I'm like, how do you know Andy? Like, like I don't want to, like, this, this kind of is everywhere, and so I think because of their nature and their personality they have met so many different people from different walks of life and that whole side eye has become oh yeah they live up in the factory kind of thing so and they they're involved in these cultural things in our community and yeah they've been very good for it around here whether they realize their impact i think that yeah, they've been very good for the community and i come here and do yoga so and it's the best the most mental health care i can afford is i come do yoga once a week when i can get away from my real life so (laughs) come here to the magical place and do yoga so it's great
0: Tara Schmidt and Andy Gerber run the Tomato Products Company, where they build and share a community, partly through events like the Curiosity Lecture Series that you heard and Paoli Fest, which, I'm sad to say, happened just last week. But don't worry, you can follow the Tomato Products Company on Facebook so you don't miss their next event. Okay, I've got one more thing I'm excited to share with you. It's a poem that starts, I ain't a son of a gun, but a daughter of slaughter. Michael Luis Darrow is a poet, tarot slinger, and beekeeper living in Bloomington, Indiana. He's also totally, unironically, into spaghetti westerns and pro wrestling. Here's Michael with selections from his poem, The Woman With
6: No Name. I ain't a son of a gun, but a daughter of slaughter. My pa, a plowboy, turned war orphan, turned bully beggar, turned hallelujah peddler, Turn saloon broom hand, turned barn house fisticuffer, turn bronco wild Roscoe, turned hell bent highwayman, turned train heister, turn twice baptized preacher mayor, turn flesh rancher, turning a fine prophet, churning dog men loose upon stolen girls. And then one day I showed up in one of them bellies, and Pa went off to turn himself into a land taker, then a mine staker. Driving folks down them pits to turn over their silver halls so he can turn flag waver, turn pale savior of the meagre rack dream chasers, turned hand over heart fear hawker who wrangled his new nation one town burner at a time. And I wanted to be owed to none like Pa, and so begrudged my fog eyed Ma, and turned myself into a murder romancer. While Pa's serpent spoutin churned, we made these broken lands into empire, Turned heaven brought us here to civilize the Sierras, and went on to turn the meanest in his charge into lawmen all across the plains. And then the day came when he churned his attentions upon my gunplay know-how, and so turned me into his cold sharpshooter, his death dealer, his mutiny bleeder, his gallows stalker and right-hand revolver, so longs it wasn't daughter. Muck-faced and legless with whiskey, I once sat in the shadow of a sagging eve and beheld a funeral procession for a kite, a paper girl who drowned in a tree. My eyes smarted at how them children gathered about, finger-fumbling and kicking up dirt, the only means they could figure to pay respects. They took turns, gnawing on that kite's cotton string, their spittle catching the amber winds till it glimmered with desert. And like a ragtag clutter of lazied hummingbirds, them children went on to dip their heads into rags of ether. What's the use of all this remembrance? I was mean with drink. Ha! <sighs> I pissed myself. With a mouth soured sick, I hollered foul things at them children. Under the greasy hour of high noon, I rended my shirt and spat at them. But before all went dark and gone, I witnessed men in pale dusters come and load them children onto a mule-drawn cart. And what's endlessly heaped within me ain't that I did nothing, but that doing nothing suited me just fine. Yet in all my dreams, the mule's hooves, the cart's wheels, the wake of amber dust. And through that cruel fog, them hummingbirds, them children, them faces doused in a god-awful quietude.
0: That was Michael Luis Darrow reading selections from his poem, Woman with No Name. And that was produced by Luann Johnson for WFIU's Poet's Weave. Thanks, Luann. And that's our show. You've been listening to Interstates from WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana. If you have a story for us or you've got some sound we should hear, let us know at wfiu.org interstates. Okay, we've got your quick moment of slow radio coming up. But first, the credits. Interstates is produced and edited by me, Alex Chambers, with support from Violet Barron, Ea Bonbinder, Mark Chilla, Avi Forrest, Luann Johnson, Sam Schemenauer, Peyton Whaley, and Kate Young. Our executive producer is John Bailey. Our theme song is by Amy Olsner and Justin Vollmer. We have additional music from the artists at Universal Production Music and Ramon Monras sender Special thanks this week to Kara Schmidt and Andy Gerber of the Tomato Products Company as well as their friends and guests. Heather Nichols, Patricia Basile, Darren and Esprit Bender Beauregard, Rosemary Park, and Rosemary's good friend Lauren. And an extra special thanks to Gabriel Pizer of the Indiana University Center for Rural Engagement for helping to make this story happen. All right, it's time for some found sound. (laughs) That was the sound of hungry, hungry kittens. Don't worry, they were about to get fed. Until next week, I'm Alex Chambers. Thanks, as always, for listening.